so actually one month ago, I was, uh, I was up here preaching, not, not feeling well, and you know, there's just so much stuff going around, I know a lot of you have been sick too, and um, I wasn't feeling well, and it was a, actually, a, I worked on Sunday until I think about 8 o'clock that evening, went home not feeling good and went to bed, and I don't think I got out of bed for like two or three days. Uh, I have not had the flu in years and years. I forgot how much fun the flu is. And so I, I, had, the, I had the flu, and I was, as I was down for a couple days, and I was supposed to lead worship uh, Wednesday night. That was at the uh, Thanksgiving Eve service, and I, I couldn't even get out of bed. So uh, Scott jumped in and made all that happen. I heard it was great. And um, I, was, I was out the next morning. I wasn't able to go to the run, which I just really hated. But we had planned a huge uh, family gathering at our house on Thanksgiving, and there was nowhere else for people to go, so we were doing it at our house. And so I think we had about 25 people at our house, and we had, um, I just was like, well, you know, if you can't share uh, the flu with family, who can you share it with? So we, everyone came over, and, and I think I, I was good until about 2.30 um, and I was sitting at one, of, we had three or four tables set up, and I was sitting at one of the tables, and you know how you just kind of have like, like, that's it, I'm done. Um, so I kind of got up from the table, uh, went into the bedroom, locked the door, and went to bed, and again, stayed there for a while, and on Monday, it just things had gone downhill to the point I went to the doctor, and uh, they did some listening, took some x-rays, and said, you have pneumonia with a side helping of bronchitis, and um, so anyways, uh, kind of going through, uh, pneumonia is like, it's so boring. You can't, you can't do anything. You can't, you can't concentrate on anything. And so I think it was about two weeks into the pneumonia. And, uh, my wife was, we were sitting in the living room, uh, one evening I was sitting by the fireplace and she looks at me and she says, honey, we gotta, we gotta figure out how to get you some rest, uh, before you jump in back into just the the really super busy and demanding Christmas season. And I, I kind of laughed at her and I said, you know, what are you talking about? All I do is rest. It's, I can't do anything else but rest. And she said, no, I, I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about your mind. I'm talking about your heart and your soul. And it, it was a good reminder because I was doing what maybe some of you do. You, you maybe you're sick and you're down, but in your mind is just racing. It's going 100 miles an hour. You're thinking about all the stuff you're not getting done, right? All the stuff you got to do and how are you going to solve this and do that. And that's really where I was. Uh, my body was at rest, but my soul was super stressed. And a verse that came to me is a verse that comes to me a lot. One of my, one of my favorites over the years, Psalm 4610, where God uh, says to us, he says, uh, be still. Uh, some translations say, cease striving and know that I am God. Right? Take a deep breath. Be quiet for a minute and know that I am God. I will, I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And, and God extends to us an invitation in the midst of a stressful and chaotic world. In the midst of a world that feels more stressful and more chaotic every week, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like life is crazy right now? And God invites us in the midst of it to find rest. To find rest in God who is in control. That, that's the whole point. God says, I'm in control. You don't need to stress. You don't need to be anxious. You can rest. And the interesting thing is this is Christmas season. And Christmas season is all about this, right? It's all about uh, the, the, the joy of the good news. It's all about, uh, it's all about peace on earth uh, between God and men with whom he is well pleased. And, you know, this is, 
Christmas is all about the gospel. It's not about the tree and the presents and the parties. It's about the gospel. It's, it's about the fact that God loves us and came to us uh, as one of us. And he lived among us. And he died for us and he rose for us. And he invites us. And this morning, he's inviting you. If you walked in here this morning and maybe you're sitting down and your body's at rest, but your mind is not. He is inviting you to find rest in him today. To find peace in him today. And the, and the irony is that it's Christmas time. And a lot of Christians tell me at Christmas time how stressed they are. How stressful Christmas time is. And for so many of us, I feel like our schedules are overwhelmed. And it's what they're overwhelmed with, which is ironic. For so many of us, we are so overwhelmed with tradition and with making memories, and with going to every activity that we possibly can, and the, our, the, the financial stresses. And the irony is that in the midst of a season that so where we celebrate God with us, we are not with God. <laughs> he is with us, but we are not with Him. We have missed Him. We are not resting. We are not enjoying God. You know what it reminds me of? It, it reminds me of sitting down at a wonderful meal. Like, I don't know what your favorite meal is, but imagine that you were sitting down to your favorite meal, and it was cooked perfectly. And you sat down, and you began to eat that amazing meal. But while you were eating, you were thinking about what you're doing next, and the shopping you have to do, and the decorating you have to do, and, and your financial stuff. And imagine you're eating it, and you never actually think about what you're eating. You never enjoy the wondrous meal that you're partaking of. You're thinking about your to-do list, and your shopping, and, and, and here's the thing. It's a picture of someone who is blessed, but not mindful. They're blessed, but they're not enjoying their blessing. How many of us does that describe our everyday life? Every day we get up and we are feasting on a meal that is life and we are not enjoying any of it. We are stressed out and we are anxious. And in the middle of all of it, God, is, God bids us to lay aside for a moment this morning uh, the Christmas list, the to-do to list, the chores, the unwashed dishes, you know, the half-decorated house, to pause the cheesy Netflix movie and just to enjoy the Savior, just to rest. And the word I want to talk about this morning is to ponder. It's a word we don't use a lot, but it's a word that's just really captured my imagination. I want to talk today about pondering during the Christmas season. Now, on the night when Jesus was born, we all know the story. He was born in Bethlehem. There's some shepherds uh, working nearby. They're pulling the night shift. And while they're working, an angel appears to them and he announces to them that a savior has been born and he's nearby and, you know, he's come to atone for the sins of the world and that the, the shepherds are awestruck. Uh, they're sore afraid, uh, it says in uh, King James. And in verse, uh, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 16, we pick up the story. And once they had heard the message, it says, and they went with haste, and they found Mary, and they found Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, that, that is the message from the angel. And all who heard it, everybody who was there, because there's probably a lot of people there, they all wondered at what the shepherds told them. And this is it. This is the verse right here that I want to talk about today. But Mary treasured up all of these things, and here's the word, pondering them. Pondering them in her heart. 
Let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray that as we come to you, your word this morning, that, you would, that we, you would just slow us down a bit. That you would help us for a few minutes to set aside the cares of the world and to ponder. To ponder the Savior. To rest. We have souls that long to be at peace. And that peace is right here for us. May we grab a hold of it right now as we think about the wonderful gift of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So I want to think about Mary this morning. Um, some of you, I, you know, it's, we're, it's the end of the year, and um, 2018 is almost over, and some of you have said to me, this has been the craziest year. I don't know where this year has gone, but it has been insane. It has been out of control. Consider Mary's year. In fact, let's just consider the previous nine months for Mary up to this point in the story. Let's think about this, the context. So nine months earlier, she is a young woman, uh, and, she, and, and an angel comes to her out of the blue. Never seen an angel before. An angel comes and announces to her that she is going to have a, a, a virgin pregnancy. <laughs> She's never heard of this, doesn't, doesn't know what this is. She's going to be pregnant while a virgin. And then she has to tell her fiancé, and there's conflict, right? There's some conflict that goes on there. It's probably very difficult for her. And then people are talking about her, and she gets a little baby bump going, and people are like, hey, what's, you know, what's going on with that? You're, you're not even married. You're engaged. And then Rome decides to have a census, and so they, her and Joseph have to take a, a difficult journey. And while she's there, she gives birth in an animal stall where animals live, and, and her body is physically stressed, and she's in, she's in pain. She's just given birth. And, and on top of that, whatever plans she had for her life, man, they're gone. Her entire agenda has, has changed in a heartbeat. And all around her, I just picture that night when she's in that animal stall and she's holding her baby. And I just picture this, this whirlwind of activity going on around her, as we'll talk about. And what is the state of her heart? What is the state of her heart in the midst of just all of this whirlwind going on around her? Well, it tells us, it says that, that she did two things in particular, two things. It says that she, was, she treasured, she treasured up some things. And that word treasured in the Greek, and I've got it in your notes, is an interesting word. It means to gather things together, to pull them close to you, to preserve them, to conserve them from ruin. In other words, she was taking note of everything that God was doing for those nine months, and and she was kind of pulling them in. She didn't want to forget any of them. You ever had a moment like that, just an amazing moment in your life where you didn't want to forget anything that happened or anything that was said, so you just, you kind of slow down and you're, you're taking note of all of it. That's what she's doing. She's gathering it. And then she did something else. She pondered. That word pondering is a great word. It means to take everything you treasured and then to drill down farther with it. It has the idea of combining, encountering, joining stuff together. I always think of it this way. Treasuring was, if you will, gathering all the pieces to a big puzzle. Right? It's, it's gathering them all together on the table, making sure they're all there. Tr and pondering is putting them together. It's figuring it all out. Right? And oh, she's having this aha moment. Oh, that's why the angel said that. That's why that happened. That's what that meant seven months ago. And she's pondering. She's, here's some other words. Pondering just means to be mindful, to be tuned in, to be engaged with what God was doing. 
And over the last few weeks, as I've been thinking about what it means to have a pondering heart, God has impressed a few things on my heart that I want to share with you. They're in your notes, and the first is this. That a pondering heart is a heart that, that sees things through a lens of faith. It has, if you will, it has eyes of faith. So let me explain this. I think like all of us, Mary was this young woman who had plans for her future. She had dreams and hopes and expectations. Now, we don't know how old she was when this story went down. Uh, commentators say she may have been 13, 14, or 15. I just think about that for a minute. For those of us who are a little older, can you remember your 15-year-old self? <laughs> can you remember your state of mind and your wisdom when you were 15? And here's Mary. Maybe she's a 15-year-old young woman. She lives in a small town. Um, scholars believe that Nazareth probably had about 100 people living in it. So it's a small town. You know everyone. Everyone knows you. Everyone knows your business. Everyone's into your business. All right? They know her family. She's engaged. She's, she's got wedding plans. She's been, you know, she's been at, at Target. She's been hanging out at Home Goods and Bed Bath and Beyond. You know, she's setting up her house. She's been planning uh, the wedding night. She can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. And the honeymoon, she, she imagines starting a family. She, she probably pictures this time when she moves in that, in that small culture, when she moves from being a single young woman to being a wife, to this place of honor and privilege. She's so looking forward to it. And then in one quick moment, God crashes in on her plans and complicates her world. The angel Gabriel is sent to Mary. He says, greetings, favored one, right? You know the story, and says that she's troubled. And then we, we read this in Luke 1, and the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So that sounds good. We're off to a good start. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. So just kind of an information dump now on Mary. Just a whole bunch of stuff to take, to take in. You're going to conceive. You're going to become pregnant. Um, and you're going to bear a son. So you don't, you, you, it's going to be a boy. Right? Don't worry about that. Um, and you will call his name Jesus. You don't have to get a, a baby name book. Here's his name. And he will be great. So that's good. We want all our children to grow up to be great people, and, and he will. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. That is the stuff and the substance, the very nature of God. And, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, she's, she's a good Jew. She knows scripture. This is all starting to sound familiar, starting to sound Old Testament to her. And he'll reign over the house of, of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now she's starting to figure it out. This, is, this sounds like the Messiah. This sounds like the promised one who would deliver us. And Mary said to the angel, she has a question. She just, just a kind of a simple one-on-one question. Um, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She understands the angel saying this is going to happen right away. This is happening quickly and you're not getting married for a while. And she's like, I know enough about biology to know uh, this doesn't work. This doesn't happen. So the angel says, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, here's how it's going to work. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. She has no idea what that means. She just nods her head like, okay, I, you know, I get it. And therefore, the child will be, to, to be born to you will be called holy, will be the Son of God, the stuff, the substance, the nature. He will be God in the flesh. And so in one moment, God brings what I, what I call sovereign chaos. So I've just kind of thought of that a few weeks ago. I love that phrase, sovereign chaos into her life. Here's what I mean by sovereign chaos. Like we believe God's in control, but his plan seems crazy to us. It just brings chaos into our life. Have you ever felt that way? Like God, I believe in you. I believe you're there, but what in the world could you be thinking in doing this? So think about this. She has a life that's been planned out and none of this was in her plan. She's going to be pregnant out of wedlock. That's, that is scandalous 
In her devout Jewish community of 100 people, scandalous, every single person is going to know what's going on. Her reputation would be trashed, would be destroyed. People would say, you know, they'd, they'd see her in the town square. Oh, they'd see her, you know, baby bump. Hey, Mary, you know, what's, what's going on there? Oh, well, it's amazing. Uh, like, it's, it's a, a immaculate conception. It's super cool. I'm a virgin. Don't worry about it. But this is a God's doing, and people would think either she's a liar or she's delusional. Right? Neither one ends well for her. Joseph might not believe her. She doesn't Right? She doesn't know where Joseph is going to fall on this. She can end up a single mom raising the son of God, an outcast of society, a beggar. No one would give her a job. I think the challenge a lot of times for us is that our, our plans, like we all have plans, they just tend to be kind of safe, kind of small. They often tend to be very, very kind of self-serving. But when God gets involved, have you noticed? His plans tend to be big. They tend to be other-centered. And a lot of times it just feels like sovereign chaos. It feels stressful. Let me ask you, what is your attitude when you face sovereign chaos? You didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. <laughs> You'd love to give it back. What's your attitude? Here was Mary's attitude. She said, this 15-year-old girl says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, right? You're God. I'm your child. Let it be to me according to your word. Those are pretty wise words for a 15-year-old. Those are pretty wise words for anyone. See, Mary trusted God. She saw chaos. And in fact, she couldn't even really imagine how much chaos there would be in her life. But she saw it with eyes of faith. And, and the thing is, when you don't trust God and his chaos comes into your life, you, you might panic. You might stress. You might try to escape. I, I see that a lot. People are like, I just want out of this. I just want out of here. You might doubt God. You might question God. You might try to wrestle control from God. You'll speak words of complaining and griping and doubt, lacking faith, hurting your own soul, hurting the souls of people who can hear you. And near the end of Mary's pregnancy, as if it hasn't been difficult enough, Rome has a census. And a census was just about two things. It was about paying your taxes and about uh, seeing how many young men could be conscripted into the army. And a census meant that citizens would have to cancel their plans, take time off work without any pay, uh, you know, and they'd have to travel to their ancestral hometown, which they might live in, but usually they didn't. And you'd have to take time off from work. You'd have to, you'd have to pay for food, pay for lodging, make the trip. Travel was hard back, in, back then. There's no Uber. There's no Airbnb. And so for Joseph and Mary, it means they have to travel to Bethlehem, which is about 70 miles from where they were. Now, I just like men don't get it, but women, you know, imagine in the last week of your pregnancy and you've got to travel 70 miles. And I'm not talking about 70 miles the way we travel now, right? If you're going to travel 70 miles, you get in the minivan, it takes you... An hour and 10 minutes. If it's me, it takes 40 minutes. And, uh, you know, you get there and you're all good to go. But back then, it would have been a week of traveling on rough terrain. It, it, she's very pregnant. You're traveling by foot or maybe in a, in, in a cart being pulled by a donkey. And they get there and the time comes for her to give birth in Luke 2, 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And she laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. They're not at home where all the baby clothes are. 
Tradition tells us that Jesus was born in an animal stall, probably a cave, carved on the side of a mountain, which is typical, which is where animals slept and where animals ate. <laughs> it may have belonged to the innkeeper or a resident, but it smells, it's dirty, there's no doctor, there's no epidural, it's painful, it's overwhelming, it, she's, she's physically exhausted, I'm sure that it feels to her like absolute chaos. Here's a question. Do you feel like you have any sovereign chaos in your life right now? Maybe you're just trying to work through it. Maybe you've been going through it for a while. Maybe it feels like you're heading right into it. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a difficult diagnosis for you or someone you love. Maybe it's just relational chaos right now, right? We have that every now and then. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it, but there it is. Maybe it's a, a vocational chaos. I know a few of you are going through uh, uh, terrible stuff right now at work. Uh, maybe there's a plan of yours that isn't coming together the way that you wanted. Maybe it's financial or a school thing. But I just love the words of this 15-year-old this young woman who says, you know what, God, I'm your servant. You're the Lord. I trust you. Just let it be according to your word. This is the pondering heart. The pondering heart doesn't have it all figured out. It takes notice of the divine chaos, but it doesn't panic. It trusts God. It, it sits back. <laughs> it takes a deep breath. It sees the situations through eyes of trust, through eyes of faith. It doesn't just surrender. It embraces. A pondering heart sees with eyes of faith. It makes all the difference in our stress level, quite frankly. But there's more to the story. The second thing is this. I'm going to say a pondering heart thrives in community. And I just want to tell you this. That I, I mean, I've, I've preached through probably, I don't know, 50 or more Christmas messages because a lot of times I'll do this. I'll preach one message the weekend, you know, before Christmas Eve, and then we'll do another one next weekend. I have never really noticed this aspect of the story that just really stuck out to me this, this last week. And I point it out because of this. You know, I'm, I'm used to, as a pastor, having conversations with people, you know, I'll say, how you doing? And sometimes people will say to me, and especially this time of year, man, it's crazy, and I just feel like life's out of control, I'm just trying to hold on, and there's just so many demands being made on me right now, and there's so much stress, and I'm just dealing with so many problems, and, and here's what I've noticed. A lot of times, when we feel like life is stressful and life is hard, uh, it seems to be a human tendency for us. Our knee-jerk reaction is to want to escape. We want to get away from the, the, what we perceive to be the source of our stress. And so many times we want to escape. And a lot of times what it means to escape for us is we want to get away from people. Because a lot of times the things that we feel are causing us stress are people. And maybe it's a, a family or our neighbors or our boss or our coworkers or, you know, teammates or whatever it is. But a lot of times what I hear people saying is, I just need to get away. I just need to get away from all of these people. Um, I read an article a few weeks ago, and I don't know if you saw this. It's uh, in the New York Times, and it's about this little cottage industry that they have in South Korea. They have these things called fake or mock prisons. Have you heard of these? So they have mock prisons in South Korea because people in South Korea feel like life is so insane that they would rather pay money to go to a fake prison than, than to be home for the weekend. Um, this is actually a picture uh, of one of those prisons as people are shuffling off to their cells. Let me just read a, a bit of this. This is from the New York Times. 
For most people, prison is a place to escape from. For South Koreans in need of a break from the demands of everyday life, a day or two in a fake jail is the escape. Now, here's a great sentence uh, that one of the, this is one of the inmates <laughs> that they interviewed said. This is awesome. Listen to this sentence. This prison gives me a sense of freedom. <laughs> Let me read that again. This prison gives me a sense of freedom. How messed up is someone to just make a statement like that? Said one inmate, a 28-year-old office worker who paid $90 to spend 24 hours locked up in a mock prison. Since 2013, it's called, this particular prison's called the Prison Inside Me. The, the Prison Inside Me facility in northeast Hongqian has hosted more than 2,000 inmates, many of them stressed office workers and students seeking relief from South Korea's demanding work and academic culture. Now, one inmate, as she sat in her 54-square-foot cell, said, quote, I shouldn't be here right now given all the work I need to do. But I decided to pause and look back at myself for a better life, unquote. Now, prison rules are strict. No talking with other inmates, no mobile phones, no clocks. Clients get a, a blue prison uniform, a yoga mat, tea set, pen, and a notebook. They sleep on the floor. There's a small toilet inside the room, but no mirror. The menu includes steamed sweet potato and a banana shake for dinner and rice porridge for breakfast. Mmm. The director of the fake prison said some customers are uh, wary of spending 24 or 48 hours in a prison cell until they try it. And here's, here's what the, the director of this prison said. I love this. After a stay in our prison, people say, this is not the prison. The real prison is where we return to. Now, of course, the reality is the real prison isn't the world you return to. It's the world you choose to return to. It's the world that exists inside of your heart. And I would just say this. Having times of solitude can be spiritually helpful, but if you have to be alone to have a pondering, thoughtful heart, then you are sunk. Because that's just not the way it works in the real world, and it's not the way it even worked in this story. So let's think about Mary for a moment. Where is Mary when she has a pondering heart? Where is she? She is right in the middle of the chaos. I picture Mary sitting in a chair in the middle of this cave with people coming and going, right? Because it's a small town and everybody wants to come and see the baby and bring some potluck food and all that kind of stuff and some pampers because they, they weren't prepared for this, right? And I just picture chaos and there's Mary. Mary didn't say, hey, Joseph, I have just got to get away. I'm going to go to the beach for a couple of days and I'll be back, right? Isn't that what we do? Something I've noticed at every key point in Mary's story, in every key point, God brings people along to, to stimulate faith in Mary. Because this, this is a principle we find in Scripture that spiritual community stimulates a pondering heart. Spiritual community stimulates a pondering heart. Let me give you just... A couple of examples of, amongst many. She's engaged to Joseph at the beginning of the story. Joseph is a godly, devout, young Jewish man. He's, in, he's engaged to Mary. One day, his fiancée comes to him and says, Joseph, I have some awesome, awesome news. I'm pregnant. Woo! Right? Right? Where's the confetti? And, 
And it's, it's, a, it's an immaculate conception thing, right? And Joseph's like, I don't, I don't know what that is, right? What is that? She's like, yeah, I don't know what it is either. They, he, the angel told me, I don't know what it is. But it's good news because it's, right, it's, it's a virgin birth. And the only thing that he knows is he's not the dad. He knows that, and he knows that for sure. He concludes that Mary has been with another man, and so he decides to break off the marriage. And he'll do it quietly. He'll do it discreetly. And as he's pondering this, he, he falls asleep. And an angel appears to him in a dream. And an angel says, it's all cool. It's all awesome. It's really the way Mary said. So it tells us in Matthew 1, 24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. So think about this. He goes to Mary I picture he gets on his knees, he takes her hands, he says, I'm so sorry that I didn't believe you, but an angel has appeared to me, and now I'm, I'm with you. I'm on your team. In fact, I'm not just on your team, I'm going to help carry the load. I'm going to put my arms around you, I'm going to take you as my wife, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to care for you. Joseph took upon himself all the gossip right? Uh, the damaged reputation, the whispers, the judgment. In fact, we know that people are whispering and talking about this, and this will follow Jesus his entire life, when people will say, oh, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that the son of Joseph the carpenter? And they mean that in a slanderous way. Just imagine how encouraging that would have been for Mary. This alone young woman, and he comes up beside her, and he puts his arm around her and says, you are not alone. And the most important person to her in this world says, I am on your team now. And I am willing to walk this road for you. I am with you. I just love how God brings him along and he's there with her. She needed, she could not, she could not have done this alone. I think of another story. Uh, Mary has a relative named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is uh, a very godly woman. She's an elderly woman. She's never had children. She's beyond childbearing years. And uh, an angel appears to her six months before this story and says, I got some good news. You're pregnant. You know, I could just see her going, what, now? Now I'm pregnant? Are you kidding me? Right? Like, the baby's going to be in Pampers, and she's going to be in Pampers. The whole thing's really weird, you know. And, uh, and he says, yes, and your, your son's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to call him John, the John, the baptizer. He's going to be a cousin of Jesus. And so she's, she's pregnant, and Mary goes to visit her because Mary, the angel said, she's pregnant. And so what's Mary doing? Mary's like, this is going to be so hard, so I'm going to go be with spiritually minded people. So she goes. I picture her walking down the road. She comes up to Elizabeth's house. She knocks on the door, right? She's like, hey, Elizabeth, are you in there? And in Luke 1, uh, it tells us this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby inside of her, John the Baptist, he kind of kicks around a little bit. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And I can just imagine like when Mary got to the door, she may have been thinking, this 15-year-old woman who's like, people are gossiping, people are staring, no one understands. But Joseph, she feels rejected, she feels demoralized. And Elizabeth opens the door and goes, no. Oh, you are blessed. You are blessed of God. You are, you are graced by God. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever felt like that in the middle of chaos? Like I'm no one and I'm nothing. And then somebody comes along and puts their arms around you and says, no, you are loved. And no, you are valuable. And no, God is with you. And, I, and I'm with you too. What can I do for you? 
This is why Mary sought her out during a stressful time because we need people of faith to encourage us. Let me just give you one more. There's so many examples that we can read, but one more. It's the shepherds. We already talked about this. The shepherds, they're outside of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus is born. They don't know Mary. They've never met Joseph. They're out working the night shift. Jesus is born. An angel appears and says, hey, I got some unbelievable news for you. A savior was born tonight. A little baby in Bethlehem. And, this, and, and, and then he gives them this message in Luke 2. The angel said to them, don't be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. By the way, that, that phrase, good news of great joy, that's the text for next week's uh, sermon on, on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes and he'll be lying in a manger. You don't see that every day, right? Just wrapped up in some towels, lying in a feeding trough. Shouldn't be hard to find, you know? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom those with whom he is pleased. And so these shepherds received the first birth announcement of the Savior. They received the good news the gospel, that God is working on our behalf, that God wants to save us, is sending a Savior who will live among us, who will die for us, who will rise for us, who will send for us, and who will save us by faith, a Savior who is the Lord. And in verse 16, it says this, and when they received the message, they went with haste, they ran, and they found Mary, and they found Joseph, and they found the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known uh, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they, they leave their flock. They go on a one, probably one to two mile journey. They race there. They get to Bethlehem. It's crowded because everyone's there for the census. So they're walking around. Has anyone heard a baby cry? Has anyone, anyone known about a baby being born? And people are like, yeah, it's over there. And so they get over there and they get to this, they get to this cave and they go inside and they see the baby and they see Mary. And I'm just sure they're just exploding with good news. And so they go up to Mary and they say, you're not going to believe what just happened. Now, I kind of picture that we know Mary's there and Joseph's there. And I would imagine that, so this is big news. A baby was just born and they're not at home. So I, you know, again, I picture everybody wants to come, right? Everyone wants to see the baby. And so they just walk by and, oh, here we had a casserole. You probably need that. Oh, here we've got some extra blankets. And so I imagine there's kind of a crowd. And again, I just picture Mary and she's sitting there, you know, and it's a blur of people and they're talking and the shepherds come up and they get down in front of Mary and they're like, you have to hear what we just saw. And so they tell Mary every detail. And I just picture Mary just, just soaking it in. Can you imagine after all Mary has just been through, how, how awesome that must have been? She doesn't even know these guys. And they're like, you cannot believe this. And I just picture Mary's heart just overflowing with all of this. You know, I think that our tendency when life is overwhelming is to withdraw. That is our knee-jerk reaction, to withdraw. And I get it. I get it. I've been there too. I know how that is. And I tell you, you know, I was talking with somebody after the last service. I said, um, having pneumonia for the last three weeks, I said, it's, it's been more than humbling. I said, at times, it's actually been humiliating. I don't know if you've ever felt like that where I can't, I can't catch my breath or I can't stop coughing or I want to do things I can't do. We've all been there, haven't we? Sometimes life just doesn't feel humbling. It feels humiliating. And we want to withdraw. 
don't withdraw. We need to be with people. We need spiritual community to, to give us a faith-filled, pondering heart. Let me just ask you, are you doing life alone or are you with the community? When life is tough, who do you talk to? Who, who encourages you? Who do you talk about scripture with and sin with and you know your humiliation with? When life gets chaotic, when stuff is tough, a pondering heart needs spiritual community. And here's the last thing, and this one's quick, but a pondering heart is intentional, right? A pondering heart doesn't happen by, by accident. Again, in Luke chapter 2, verse 18, it says, and, and when all who heard what the shepherds had to say, when they heard it, they wondered. They wondered at what the shepherds told them. There are three words that I want you to notice here in verses 18 and 19. And they, they represent a progression. And all of us have found ourselves at times somewhere in this progression. The word here I want you to notice is the word wondered. That word in the Greek has the idea uh, to admire something. Uh, to, to wonder at something in, in my mind is like this. Uh, it's like being at an art museum and you're walking down a hall and you see this work of art and it just takes your breath away. It's so beautiful. And you look at it and you're like, wow. And then you move on. And you forget all about it. And life can be a lot like that, can it? There's a lot of take your breath away moments. There's a lot of blessed moments where you see it, cool, and you move on. That's what the crowd did. But here's what made Mary different from everyone else that night. Mary went deeper, verse 19. But Mary moved from wondering to treasuring. Now, treasuring is different. That's going a little bit deeper. Treasuring is stopping and, and noticing all the, the, the beautiful stuff God's doing and pulling it in and, and staring at it and thinking about it so you'll never forget it. Right? Have you had those moments like that? I, now, I, 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 my wife and I, we always talk about this. Um, when each one of our three children were born, my wife would always say there would always be a point that night when she was holding the baby and she would say, I just want to burn this into my mind. I don't ever want to forget this. This is what Mary's doing. She is gathering and preserving. And then she goes even farther to the third step, which is pondering. That's the next step. That's where you combine it together. Again, I have this picture like treasuring is getting all the pieces of the puzzle and then pondering is putting them all together, encountering them, enjoying it, entering into it. But, but here's what I want you to notice. For Mary, it happened in the midst of the chaos. This is the part that gets me, in the middle of all the chaos of life. And I know that so many of you are in the midst of chaos right now. Life is chaotic and there's a tendency to go, when it's all over, then I'll become a pondering heart. No, that's not when you do it. You do it now. You do it in the midst of it. Mary's heart was taking note of everything that God was doing. What people saw, what people said. She gathered it, she protected it, she combined it. And in that, she gets a peace and a joy. You know, it's interesting, it's a whole other sermon altogether, but what's interesting to me is no one in Scripture, I believe, is more commended in terms of their character than Mary. When you think about all the people involved in the life of Jesus from his birth to his death, his resurrection, and beyond. There is no one like Mary. She is singular in terms of the walking this whole path with Jesus and always, always having a pondering heart of faith. I think this is what pondering does. It drives you deep. It gives you peace and a rootedness and a joy in God that you don't get any other way. Here's my point. God was working, but Mary 
had to ponder. And it's true for us because I can tell you this, in your life, God is always working. God is always working in your life. God is always blessing. God is always doing all that stuff, but you have to do the pondering, right? God's always setting the table, but you have to engage. For me, the way I process is through journaling, through meditating, and I do it often when I go on runs. Um, I just, no agenda but to think about God and what he's done. For me this morning, I just got up in the morning and decided not listening to anything, reading anything. As I got ready for the morning, took my commute, got my coffee, came to work. It was so awesome just to, just, just to ponder the things of God. And here's the thing. We, we all know, I think we all know, that pondering is important. I don't think I've told you anything this morning that you didn't already know. Here's the thing. We know this. But we don't do it very much. I mean, there's just a lot of things in the Christian life we know that we don't necessarily do like we should. And I believe this is one of those things. I just have a feeling that we know a lot more about pondering. And we have a lot of conviction about pondering, but we don't do it. Why don't we do it? I thought a lot about that this week. Why don't we? And I I think part of it is because we just always think there's more time for it. Because right? our lives are just filled with so much stuff and, and it's easy to just get caught up in our day. So I came across a statistic this week and, and you've probably read this and seen it, but I think it makes the point well. If you as an American live to be 79 years old, right? so I don't know if that's good news or bad news for you, but if you were an average American and you live 79 years old, here's how you would spend some of that time if you were an average American. You would spend 33 years of that in bed. Uh, 26 years of it sleeping and seven years trying to sleep. <laughs> um, you'd spend 12 years working. Now, again, you'd say like, well, it feels like more than 12 years. But remember, that's 12 years, 365 days, 24 hours a day all together. So that's a lot of, it's a lot of work. 11 years in front of a screen. And that number's growing because a screen used to just be TV, but now it's your phone and your iPad and all that stuff. Um, four years of eating, which doesn't seem like nearly enough, does it? Um, three years uh, in a school classroom, which is actually less time than you'll spend eating, so that's good. Um, 235 days standing in line and waiting on hold. And when it comes to getting ready in the morning for your day, if you're a woman, it'll take you 136 days. If you're a man, it'll take you 46. If you're me, it'll take 20. It's just really quick. It's easy. Now, here's the thing. That's 64 years right there. That's 64 years, and you haven't taken a vacation yet. You haven't played with your kids yet. You haven't pursued a hobby yet. You haven't been to church yet. You haven't read your Bible yet, and you haven't pondered yet. Can you see how life, if you're not careful, will just take over, and you'll never have time to ponder? See, the reality is to have a pondering heart, you don't need to escape from anything. You don't have to escape from your everyday life. Mary didn't. You just need to refocus at the moment. You need to refocus your thoughts on God, on what God's done and what God's doing. You need to treasure. Treasure the blessings that God has given you. You need to gather that stuff together. You need to combine it, ponder it. And here's the thing. You can do it almost anywhere. You don't have to go on a retreat. You can do it at almost any time under almost any conditions. If Mary could do it on the night that she was born, in the, or, or that Jesus was born in the midst of all that chaos, you and I can most certainly do it. 
But here's the thing. It requires that you be intentional. It requires that you be disciplined. So I want to throw out a little challenge to you. And it's not a big challenge um, at all. Except my computer just went dead. Um, It's not a big challenge at all unless... uh, I know what happened. I didn't have it plugged in. All right, so it's in your notes, all right? So uh, here we go. So here it is in your notes, I think. I want to encourage you to take uh, 10 minutes a day for the next seven days to set aside time to ponder. Now, for some of you, you already do that. So maybe you want to take 15 minutes or maybe you want to take 30 minutes. But maybe for some of us, it's been a while since we even took 10 solid minutes to ponder God. So let me just tell you how this might work. Yeah, it might be 10 minutes a day for the next seven days when you happen to be alone. Uh, You might do it like I do it, through journaling. Uh, You might do it when you exercise or go for a walk. You might say, you know, I'm I'm not going to listen to music or a podcast. I'm going to go out for my exercise, and I'm going to think about God and ponder God. Uh, Let me tell you, if you've not done that, it's absolutely revolutionary. I cannot tell you the last time I did it and did not walk away in awe of God and what he's done. Maybe you do it while you eat lunch. Maybe you do it on your commute. Maybe you'll do it while you're waiting in line. Maybe you'll do it, if you're like me, it takes you an hour and a half to fall asleep, so you have plenty of time when you're laying in your bed and your wife's asleep in 36 seconds, and, you know, you can just ponder. But here's the thing. Imagine taking 10 minutes every day for the next seven days, every day, 70 minutes, walking into Christmas Eve, having 70 minutes or a couple of hours of having pondered, of having enjoyed of having rested, of having been at peace. Let me tell you, if you haven't done that in a while, it will absolutely revolutionize your Christmas. In fact, I, would, I, will, I will tell you this. If you will do this, if you will do this, here's how I would imagine it changing all of this. Here's a common conversation I'll have with a whole bunch of people in, um, what, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten days from now. Ten days from now, I'm going to run into a bunch of people in the community, and I'm going to say, how are you doing? And they're going to say, I am exhausted. Christmas is so exhausting, right? And oftentimes, it's because we made it that way. But if we would prepare our hearts to be ready for the celebration of the Son of God, if we would do that, I think that the day after Christmas, we would be in a much different place. Wouldn't that be great? The day after Christmas to say, that was so awesome. That was so peaceful. I got so much rest at Christmas. (laughs) I'm like ready for the new year. Wouldn't that be great? Now here's the thing. That's exactly what God has for you. If you will just take it. If you will embrace the pondering heart. So we're gonna uh, close in prayer here. And then I thought a great way to end this was I'm going to give you a, I'm going to let you cheat and get a start on all this because we're going to close with the song Silent Night. It just feels like a pondering song to me, right? So we're going to close with Silent Night and you can actually start the pondering right now. Let me pray for us.